Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that special. And uh, I have yet to actually just preach exclusively, pretty much. There's a few folks in this room, but exclusively on live stream. I've been in front of the camera many times with leading songs, but this is my first time doing this. So uh, anyway, we'll see how it goes this morning. Uh, but we're glad that you're tuning in, glad that there's a wonderful group of you involved in summer school. And I am very thankful to the leadership of this college uh, and for all that they have done to keep, and the, all the professors, to keep things going. Um, you know, there are a lot of different places that did not um, enjoy a good finish. And I think we've had an incredibly good finish, even though it's limited in the fact that we're not together. And I think that's important to be together. But I'm grateful that God has helped our leadership to be able to keep moving forward. And you finish with a tremendous content, spiritual encouragement, chapel, the preaching, all the investment in, in your lives. And I'm thankful for that and thankful that you're continuing on and getting some more courses here before we finalize uh, this school year. Um, and so we're grateful for that. And uh, of course, these are interesting days. I have uh, been involved in, in being participating in quite a few different uh, webinars. Is, um, I, one of my responsibilities here on staff is to really just know what's going on and help our church to be on top of staying uh, in a position where we um, are, are making right moves and and understand the legal side of things and understand just practical uh, ramifications for decisions made. And I was on a, a webinar yesterday that was from California, and uh, it's amazing, especially uh, in that state, some of the battles that they're facing beyond even this COVID crisis. Uh, but I was listening to one of the state senators. They had a, a believer who's one of the state senators from there, a rare breed who loves the Lord and actually could articulate biblical truth and even just the aspects of the freedom that we should be able to have here in our nation. And talking about what's going on in California, and they said, what starts in California goes to the rest of the country. And it's true when you think about so many different aspects of what, what Hollywood and other places have, have kicked out and, and even the basic you know, things that we would never dreamed of being mainstays in culture were being pushed hard 30 years ago, especially in that state, and now are becoming mainstream in the Midwest. That, you know, just a lot of different things. I remember as a young boy, um, the big story about the Church Hamilton Square Baptist in San Francisco that encountered a major riot uh, that happened because they had a speaker there that was for family values, and it was a group of homosexuals who were fighting against them and literally came on the property, and, and you could hear on the recording uh, the banging on the door, and, the, and the, there was vandalism that happened on the property there. And, it ended up being a blight on the homosexual community because what they did was over the top, of course. Uh, but I remember a lot of our churches played those recordings because you could hear they had big wooden doors at that church. You could hear the pounding and the yelling. And I remember that was early 90s. I remember as a boy, I was a fifth grader or so, and you just you and then you start to imagine that happening at your church and, and just some of those dynamics. And I remember thinking, well, that's just so far away. And, uh, and we haven't experienced anything like that per se. Uh, but that battle now almost seems to have been, it's past, and yet it's not past. It's as real as ever uh, when it comes to the moral fiber of our, of, of our nation and just as, as we think about folks grabbing onto these things. Uh, marriage is now not a big deal. Of course, we understand the abortion issue. So there's a lot of battles out there. But really, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we can get really caught up on the political side, and we ought to be aware of it. I tell you what, we ought to be very aware of it. But that is not where the real battle is. It was encouraging to hear that state senator also say, every time I go to, uh, to Sacramento, he said, I understand I'm not battling against flesh and blood. 
I understand there's a bigger picture spiritual battle going on. And so that's where we can find ourselves as believers. We get caught up in the personality conflict, but really it's a bigger picture battle where what Satan's trying to do to use people uh, to, to cause there to be uh, a lot of damage done when it comes to the government to even taking away freedoms that uh, God's given to us here. So let me encourage you, stay encouraged in the Lord. Uh, it can get overwhelming sometimes watching some of these things, but I have to be abreast on what's going on especially with, with regard to religious liberty and freedom and what we can and can't do right now or what we should and shouldn't do and what are the right steps. And, and there are churches now, pray for some, there are churches and states that are not open. And our state, by the way, is not automatically open. We do have, as Pastor mentioned, uh, there is going to be a battle. Um, our county is, is looking for reasonable steps but not putting restrictions unnecessarily on any organizations, businesses, churches. Uh, which we're grateful for. Our county just literally 500 feet from here, though, or whatever it is, a, a half a mile maybe. Um, Milwaukee County is the exact opposite. Um, uh, it's a totally different situation where they're, they're basically what the, their rules are the same as what our state had just a few days ago. So um, our state is looking, our governor is looking to reinstate everything. And so we would pray, we would appreciate prayer, but there's some states that don't even have the blessing of the decision that was rendered here this past week, and their churches are starting to take steps forward, and they're going to be meeting together, taking a lot of precautions, as they do, uh, but we need to pray for one another, and we want to live peaceably with all men. At the same time, we do have the right to assemble, and it is something that uh, we believe that God is wanting us to do, and I'm glad he's opening that door up for us. So it's interesting, because the Lord put on, on my heart to preach from a section of Scripture that really deals with a battle, and we're not going to focus on the COVID-19 battle and the different views and all that. Well, we're looking at a much bigger picture, and that's the overall uh, picture that's given here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to that chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, you know, we are in a battle. I think if I had spoken this to you six months ago, you would have been, yes, that's true, there's a spiritual battle. But I think it's just gotten heightened today. A lot of it is, is during crises like this, those who hate the Lord and hate the name of Christ like to take these opportunities to try to do what they can to squelch. Um, in fact, the governor of California told a bunch of pastors on a phone call, he said, you are non-essential, you're no different, I don't see you as any different than a ball game or a ball, you know, um, an entertainment event. And, uh, and so that's what the pastors were being told. And so people who are not uh, for churches and the work of God going forward, uh, this is a time when de definitely it's heightened what they can do, the power that they can grab in these crises uh, to try to, to squelch and hurt um, churches. But let me tell you, it's a far bigger battle than even that specific thing we're looking at, even though it's part of the battle. And uh, the fact is, is one thing I'm concerned about, and I think it's a little bit better because I think we're waking up, but there's a lot of apathy when it comes to believers about what's around us and what we're facing with what Satan's trying to do. In fact, it's interesting that Warren Wearsby gives the story of D.L. Moody, who refused to let his soloist Ira Sankey use the, the song Our Christian Soldiers in their campaign. And the reason he did that is because he felt that the church he saw was very unlike an army. <laughs> uh, Wearsby continues, if the average military man on our side had behaved toward his superiors and their orders the way that the average Christian behaves toward the Lord, we most definitely would have lost the war. Think about it this past week, your attitude toward the commands of God's word and your attitude toward all that God has laid out for you and how you're supposed to live and how you responded to that. 
Think if you responded to the Lord, and the same way you responded to the Lord was the way that somebody would respond in a military campaign, how well would it go? You know, we would be absolutely furious if the men that were trained in our armed services just all did whatever they wanted to do because they didn't like what the commander said. Well, we would lose every war. It would be horrible. You go to some of the countries around the world where there is that kind of a mentality at times, and there's more of a free-thinking uh, attitude even in the military, well, they're, they're going to completely fall apart. It's a disaster. And uh, as believers, we're fighting a far more important battle than any earthly battle that would ever be fought. We're fighting a spiritual battle against the enemy, and we're fighting for the souls of men. And so when it comes to the spiritual needs in your community and our community here, when it comes to our nation, the question is, are we winning or losing? I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about spiritually. Are people in our community growing in the Lord? Are they saved or are they, are they not? How are we doing? Well, I think we would say uh, we're losing in many fronts, and we, but we don't have to lose because our commander-in-chief is, is a victor. And I think there's some reasons why today, especially why we're facing, not just today as in the COVID-19 era, uh, but just in these days in 2020, why we are facing more and more of a challenge as God's people. If you think about it, what people experienced 100 years ago was quite a bit different you know, when it came to just living and how you operated. I have been struck by this, how much things have changed even in my lifetime. I, I remember when I was uh, younger, my parents had some kind of a book talking about things in the, you know, that might happen in the future, and it was like a 1970s. I was born in 1982, so the book was pre my, my time of being born, but it was still close to uh, my early days, and that book was published, and they had things about flying cars. Now, air, airplanes were already in existence. They're talking about flying cars. We haven't quite gotten there yet, uh, but they also had things like you can, you'll be able to see somebody on the phone, and I remember thinking, that's just incredible. I mean, how would you ever see somebody on a telephone? Well, have you ever heard of FaceTime, Skype, and Google, whatever, and Zoom? I mean, you can Grab your phone and have a meeting with a bunch of people. I mean, when would you ever thought that? When you know, Maybe when you were younger, that was kind of in play. You guys are a lot younger than I am. But when I was younger, that was, I mean, it, what you did is you grabbed the, there was no cell phones. You grabbed the phone at home, you know, and there was even the rotary dial, all that. I mean, that, was, that wasn't all that uncommon, okay? I remember when they first started the Internet, if you want to check your Juno email, you know, Juno was the big thing back then, and you, you plug the, the phone in, you know, the Internet, or you plug your computer into the phone jack, right? And then you hear the, you know, and then you download a one megabyte email. That, that took like a year to download that, okay? So things have changed. I mean, now, now we, you know, what's 5G and it's every, everything now, 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 we gotta have it now. You know, if anything's not working right, we just, we're, just, we're just frustrated. And, uh, you know, we don't develop film much anymore at the store, right? It's all digital. Um, you can literally go grocery shopping and not go anywhere. It can come to you. You know, things have changed. Things, things have changed a lot. Okay, so we think about how much we've advanced as a society. And I'm not saying any of those things necessarily in themselves are bad. They're, they're wonderful blessings, honestly. I don't know what we would have done 10 years ago for the college at this point. So praise the Lord. But at the same time, we are so tied to these advances, and they're so part of our lives, and a lot of them are tied to sinful things, that I think we can fall into the trap of... Uh, just literally being sucked into what the world, how the world is telling us we ought to live, and we find ourselves actually um, uh, very apathetic because we're so ingrained in the, and conformed to what the world's doing. Think, think about right now what, what, what's going on. 
I trust God's going to use this time right now to change some of these things. But we're sending fewer missionaries than ever around the world. Good churches are closing much faster than they're opening, and that's going to, that's going to happen now much more rap- rapidly, just practically speaking, if we do hit a major recession, which we're already in, or a depression, which we very easy, easily could be in. Why are most young people who are even thinking of missions only committing to a year or two, more of a short-term approach? In fact, some major colleges that we're aware of, uh, good uh, fundamental colleges, may not um, be everything that uh, we would agree with, but we do appreciate them and, and want to see them go forward. Uh, many of them have almost eliminated their missions programs or they're barely hanging on and it's mostly short-term type opportunities. Uh, I think of Pastor's alma mater just has a fraction of the preacher boys that they have when he was in school. When Pastor was in school, 1,100 preacher boys. Can you imagine that? Anywhere, 1,100 preacher boys, all passionate to go out into the ministry. Um, why is it even in churches, even sometimes like ours, that it's like pulling teeth to encourage believers to be a regular bold witness for Christ and to be a part of outreach and making it part of their life schedule? Um, why are now so many churches canceling Sunday night and Wednesday night services and, uh, and they're doing it because their crowds are so low they just don't see it being a good option? I even heard a pastor say not too long ago, he said less is more. I'm trying to figure that one out. But anyway, um, I, haven't, I still haven't figured that statement out. But he was saying, let's make it all about this one time, and less is going to be more. I, I don't see how that falls Hebrews 10, but whatever. Um, why do we have some of the greatest Bible resources at the fingertips of almost every believer now? A lot of it's even free. You can just get online, and yet we're so illiterate. I mean, honestly, we're probably the most biblically illiterate we've ever been as God's people. We feebly stat, except for when they didn't have the Word of God, available. We feebly stab at prayer as believers. We hope that God will answer. And, and uh, my generation says that it, it desires authentic Christianity, yet we seem anyway so far from it. You know, why is that? Well, I believe that we've lost, in many cases, the biblical cutting edge as believers, and we're enamored with Satan and his system. So instead of living encouraged by promises like all authority or all power is given unto me, or when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, Satan will be bruised under your feet shortly. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The fields are wide on the harvest. Instead of living in that reality and our lives being consumed with the promises of God, we find most of our time given to worldly priorities and wonder why you know, those around us see serving God as optional. So I think this challenge here, and this really, uh, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, I charge you. These are... This is really like a military-like challenge from Paul to Timothy here, his son in the faith, because several times in this chapter alone he uses the word charge. So let's look at, I believe, three important admonitions that are, are key for us to, to win a, our, a daily spiritual battle in our own lives and see if the bigger picture God accomplished. And we're going to see three simple points. This is one of those messages that is wonderfully alliterated already for us. Flee, follow, and fight. You've heard this before, I'm sure. It's an easy one for somebody to grab and say, all right, here we go. I got an outline already given to me here. Alliterate it. All right, so I'm sure you've heard this passage, but I think when we look at the context of 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's actually very powerful. A lot of times we just focus on, there's nothing wrong with that, um, focusing on um, 11 and 12 and 13 and so on. But I think the context, you got to know what he's telling them to flee. And I, I believe it's more than just a couple verses before, but it's really... As you look at the entire first part of chapter 6, I think it's instructive. So let's go ahead and read several verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, 
Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And then he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. And, and we'll look at that section here in just a few moments. But the first admonition here given by Paul to Timothy is in verse 11. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Now, the idea of flee is the idea of running away from danger. Okay? It's like a, in the, uh, when, you, when you think about what happened <clears throat> in our country uh, years ago with the fugitives, uh, the fleeing, the, the slaves fleeing their masters. You know, they didn't take their time. They had to be careful. They didn't could just run a straight path to get out north. Uh, but they, they moved as quickly as they could away from that place. Okay, that's just a picture in your mind you can get. Or, or it's like somebody running away from some kind of a, a wild animal or a poisonous snake, a, a plague of some kind getting away from that area or a natural disaster. Think about those, uh, those fires the last few summers in California. I mean, just uh, horrific situations where you literally just heard the replays of people who were just... in it, it, trying to get out and having to drive through fire almost to get out of there and just the agony and, and doing everything they could to get away because they knew they would be consumed in the fire. Um, I remember, it's a silly story, but when I was younger, um, kind of had this fear of the basement. I don't know if any of you had that or you'd go down, it depends on what your basement was like. Some of your basements were probably finished and nice. Some were not as finished, ours wasn't. And uh, it was more of a storage area. And as a little kid, you get these little fears that are in your mind. And I remember Anytime I had to go down the chest freezer down the far storage room to get something, it would be like you get down to the bottom of the stairs and you, are, you get the courage to run there. And uh, I'm admitting something I shouldn't admit, right? But anyway, I did. And uh, so I remember one time, I think it was my mom and my oldest sister and myself were down in the basement and we were um, uh, just talking. All of a sudden there was this big crash. Now, in my mind, I had always thought of that back room as kind of where if a bad guy was going to get in the house, he would come into some, you know, the window there and hide and then he'd come. Well, you know, it was still in my mind, and uh, so I heard this crash, and again, I was younger, this is not, you know, college or high school, okay, this is a lot younger than that, and uh, I heard this noise, and immediately myself, but it wasn't just me, it was my sister, so it wasn't just me, took off, just ran, and uh, I ran, and I don't know why she ran, she might say it was for another reason, but I know why, you know, and, uh, and I ran, my mom was just so thrilled, because she couldn't believe how concerned we were for a sibling that had fallen upstairs, but that wasn't what we were running for. Uh, we were running for our lives, right? Uh, I was getting as far away as I could from that back storage room, okay? Um, I remember being in South Africa, 
and we were at a game park there with a couple of our missionaries. Had a wonderful time there with uh, them. Pastor and I were there for a couple days just um, doing something uh, special there as we had a lot of ministry we were doing, but it took a couple days for that. And we went to, not to Kruger, which is where a lot of folks have gone. We went to Pilonsburg, which is a different one, not as big, but it's still pretty neat. And I can remember we pulled around a bend, and all of a sudden we, I, I heard them yell. I was on the wrong side of the car to see it easily. But there was a rhinoceros feet from us, just feet from our path. I mean, it was not far at all. It wasn't a distant thing. It was there. And right when we come around the corner, he gets up immediately. And you know, when, when they get up, if you know anything, anything about their legs, they're not real big, right? They're not, not real tall, they're big, but they're not real tall. And so when he gets up, his body moves forward, right? So it, it looked to us like he was coming right at us. And the men literally yelled out. My dad yelled out, whoa, you know, look out. And I'm looking, I turn over, and I see this massive rhinoceros about ready to, felt like he was going to stomp. I was that close. And uh, what did we do? We did, we got out of there as fast as we could. Now, thankfully, he lumbered off. Um, but uh, we got out of there as quickly as possible. We didn't want to mess around. There was danger there, right? Basically, the idea of fleeing means we need to run away as fast as we can from something. It's dangerous. And Paul's, I believe, you see two things here in context that you can see that he was encouraging Timothy to flee from. The first one would be, in the bigger context here, the first part of chapter 6 would be fleeing the danger of pride. And pride demonstrated two ways. The first way would be through uh, insubordination. Okay, he, he deals with, in the first couple verses here, the master-servant relationship. Now, this is interesting, the context, because he's not writing it to somebody who's in a typical workplace environment to, of today. Today, we've got all these standards and rules that are put down and all the things that have to be done to do right by employees, and our country has all these different rules, and a lot, a lot of that can be helpful to protect people. But let me just say this, that that's not the context of this. It was a slave relationship to a master, and yet look how he's telling them to respond to their masters. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying, flee the temptation, as verse um, 4 says, to be proud in this context. And one way that pride is demonstrated is by we know better than the person we're working with. Now, we may have ideas that may be ultimately better but the fact is, he's saying, you give honor to your master. Now, many of you, if you're not already doing it, you're going to be working. I trust you're going to be able to get employment. And with, with the amount of unemployment today, it's not as easy, I'm sure. But I trust you'll have ability to earn money this summer and, and, and to uh, pay off your school bill and get back to school. But the fact is, you'll be probably very likely most of you'll be working for somebody. And many times as believers, we greatly injure the cause of Christ and hurt the name of Christ by our attitude toward our employers. And I just want to challenge you that in this context here, he says, if you have an unsaved master, all right, you need to count that person worthy of all honor. Why? So that the name of God, his testimony, the doctrine, the word of God be not blasphemed. It is tragic even today, right now, how many Christians are causing God's word and his name to be blasphemed by how they treat their employers. So it's not a small matter, and uh, it's even just that little attitude, that frustration, um, talking to another employee and kind of getting the cause together because this person's doing wrong. No, there are ways to appeal. 
There's ways to communicate, and if you're in a bad situation, the Lord may have you uh, move on to something else, but handling it all appropriately and in the right way. It also says, though, you that have believing masters, don't despise them, right? Uh, because they're brethren, but rather do them service. It's amazing how many times Christians do wrong to other Christians because they can't take advantage of them. It's kind of like, well, you know, they're, they're a believer. They'll, you know, uh, it's not really a testimony issue anymore. Uh, but it says, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, <clears throat> these things teach and exhort. You think about it. Somebody's saved, and you're both saved, believing master and believing employee, and you're in that kind of a relationship. You know, you ought to be exhibiting then the glorious liberty that there's in Christ. And liberty is not do what you want to do and kind of push back and whatever. Now that you know, you're saved and they're saved, that you can kind of have a kind of relationship. No, it's actually, uh, the Bible talks about liberty is not being used as an occasion to the flesh to take advantage of a situation like that. So the exact opposite. You have liberty to treat them right. You can have a relationship, both of you, that can just be glorious, even if it's challenging at first by the way you respond. God can definitely work and can honor, honor you in that. So pride is demonstrated by an insubordination. Also, just a flagrant, uh, even inaccuracy with God's word. I, that's why you're in school. That's why you're being taught, I believe, hermeneutics right now, and even getting a biblical worldview on history. These things are important, really important. Okay, but you notice here it says, um, if any man teach otherwise, it says teach and exhort these things. But if anybody teaches a different way, teaches otherwise, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He's proud. All right? Now, it's interesting because then it says he knows nothing. See, what can happen is, is there can be a sense in our lives where we think, well, we can not maybe overtly, but we can begin to just refuse to accept the plain, clear teaching of the Word of God. It just doesn't, we almost just kind of close our eyes to it and almost want to forget it's there. And he's saying no. He's saying, um, you need to teach and exhort these things, and if anybody teach otherwise, they're proud, and they don't know anything. In fact, it's interesting, then you find in verse 5, uh, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. They're literally robbed of the truth. Okay, People that get into these arguments and get into all this debate and dispute and, and and uh, they're, they're, they're causing strife with an arrogant attitude, and they're, and they're, you know, just, they're causing division. They, even though they think they've got the, their situation figured out and they're right about it, the Bible says that they're missing the big picture, and they actually, unfortunately, are, are not finding the truth. They're robbed of it. You see this a lot of times in local church settings where people get angry and they get proud and they start stirring up strife, and they have these strifes of words, and they have, you know, this talks about, Envy comes out of this, and strife, and railings, and evil surmisings, and then these dis this disputings, and all that, that, that can happen. And this, this could be in the context here of, of folks who just suppress clear teaching of the Word of God. They get angry, they try to handle a situation, they do it wrong, and they miss the big picture. And then there's also the danger of also wanting to get motive, or there's a wrong motive, excuse me, for attention, and even gain. You notice this, supposing that gain is godliness. You know, people that get in these debates and arguments and they try to push their cause and so on, and then you find here even the gaining is godliness point, you find a lot of it's all about getting attention and getting the focus on, the, on themselves. And so let me encourage you, don't be enamored, by the way, with guys who are all about themselves on YouTube or um, I'm talking about pastors and preachers that uh, have all these big works. And I'm, I, by the way, there's nothing wrong with God blessing a church and it being large, but look for... See what that man's all about. Is it all about the image? 
It's all about showing what he can do and how great the ministry is that he's building and the, even the resources that he has personally. Is it all about that? Or is it about a humble declaration of, of the truth? I'm all about God expanding and multiplying churches, but it has to be in the context of men who are humbly following God. They can be strong leaders, but there needs to be a humility that's clearly shown. Um, so don't get caught up with guys that seem to be successful because many times they're at the farthest thing from it. They just have temporary success that's going to blow up in their face. So you got to be very careful. Okay, it says so because it, 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 does, it says from such withdraw thyself. So it's easy to, especially on the internet, to kind of find yourself following people and things, but God says stay away from that. Withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to be taught this a lot, I think, in these days ahead. You know, how much, do we, how much are we really content in the Lord and in our walk with him? But godliness with contentment, that's where gain is. You know, some of your families are already getting hit financially. And many more will be in the days ahead, likely. I hope not, but likely. If that's the case, then um, can we genuinely say that we're actually, if we are walking with God and we're content, we're gaining. We're not losing. That's going to be the, be the key. We brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So you find the danger of pride to flee from that, but also, as I just now mentioned here, materialism. What is materialism? It's looking to anything other than God to bring satisfaction. It's living for things. It's caught up in desiring the things of this world. Verse 9, you, hear, you see covetousness dealt with. Verse 10, you see the love of money dealt with. The opposite of contentment. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. So literally everything's just caved in around you. And yeah, it's hard. I'm not minimizing that. If you trust me, it's hard. Financial pressures can come. That, financial pressures are some of the most excruciating things that anybody can face. It really is. That's, that's your sustenance. That's your living. But if you're content, you can keep that inner peace no matter what happens because you know you have the Lord. And let me ask you, are you content today? Can you say that you are? If you're not, if you're just chafing that you don't have... You know what? One good test of how materialistic we are as believers is going to be in these days ahead. The things that we can't do or have or whatever... How much are we going to chafe against that? You know, um, the Bible says if you have food and you have clothes, you're supposed to be content. That's, that's what it says here. And it says that if you're godly and you're content, there's the gain. That's where the gain's at. So just think about that now. We're, we're facing a time where we're going to have to wrestle that. Because when things are going great and most folks are doing well, and not everybody is, even when, when most are doing well, not everybody is, I get it. But most are doing well and everything's comfortable. There's a danger in that. We get very focused on material things, and we're content with that. But when God takes that away, then we see how genuinely content we are in him. Now, let me just take a quick moment. This is less of an issue now because a lot of people are losing their wealth. Uh, but a lot of times you can fall into the trap of thinking that if somebody has wealth and they're a believer, something's wrong, almost. Like, wow, you know, how could they be wealthy? And you, know, and you can be almost critical of somebody that is blessed financially. I'll tell you what, in this passage of Scripture, I, I think it's very clear, and this is my own personal attitude based on the Scripture, that when God blesses somebody with wealth, we ought to, and they're a believer, we ought to be thrilled for them. And we ought to cheer them on and also at the same time pray that God will protect them because riches do bring great, great pitfalls and dangers. But you notice here it says in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. Okay? It says don't be proud about your riches. Or trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in that. You know, the stock market? You know, all these things? I mean, guys that were worth billions 
a month or two ago in the oil industry, some of them are destitute, are almost impoverished now. They're hoping to come back, but some of them will never come back. It's gone, just like that. Um, Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And they that, and they, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And uh, so basically he's saying, look, lay up eternal treasures, be generous. And so when God blesses people with wealth, you ought to actually praise God for that, that he's given them that, and pray that God will help them to be generous to his work and to his cause, and that God will bless them. You know, I pray that God will bless Christians and give them wealth if they will be generous and not use it for themselves, and they will give it to the cause of Christ and be generous in seeing the cause of Christ go forward. I say, great, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for blessing me that way. So it's going to be easy. Most of you are going to be in ministry, and ministry is not lucrative unless you're a health, wealth, prosperity preacher that's out of line. Uh, it's not lucrative. That's not why you do it. Okay, I always get really bothered when guys, I heard of a guy a few years ago who had an opportunity to take a church, and he would have made double what I make, and he turned it down because it wasn't enough. He's a young guy. I thought, wow, wow. And that was his reason. You know, the salary is not good enough. I just, it blew me away. Okay? But, but the point is this. Um, you know, you're not, you're going to probably not make a lot of money. That's what I'm trying to say. Never be jealous of those who do. Because you know who this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 6 is talking about in, in verse 9? It doesn't say those who, who are rich fall into temptation and snare. It says they that will be rich. Okay, those who are desiring to be, who are living for it, those are the ones, not those who are rich. Many rich people that handle their finances well and love Jesus and are generous, man, they're not in a, they're not in a snare at all. It's those who have almost nothing sometimes are the ones that are the most bound by, by materialism. Okay, so verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So let me just give you, these were actually, a couple years ago, Pastor made some of these points. I'm going to actually borrow from some of his. I thought he, I've given it similar to this, but I thought, think his points were helpful. Talked about the danger of, sin, or what would happen as materialism grabbed a hold of you. You have the idea of, in verse 9, of sinful entrapment. Okay, it says you'll be snared. You'll fall into temptation and a snare. It's like going by in the woods and that animal that sees something and he grabs onto it and he's trapped in the trap. Okay, wherefore let him that thinketh he stand to take heed lest he fall. It's a dangerous thing uh, to live for things. Uh, succumbing to wrong desires, our life becomes characterized by lusting after things. So it says, fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. How often do you find yourself just, oh, i got to have this, or this is really cool? You know, I honestly would encourage you, if, if you're used to getting certain kind of magazines or look up certain kinds of things on the, on the internet because you're all about certain things, I'd encourage you to say, you know, am I living for this? Well, in most cases, you are. And maybe may that car. Some of you guys are all about cars. You know, honestly, you know, there, there, there's a guy I, I went to school with, and I'm not saying he's this way at all, and he really wasn't. He was the opposite of it. But he, uh, at, when he was younger, though, he had really lived for cars. Just, they thought it was really cool. He could literally sit in a, we, we would sit in the old, in the, where the uh, foresters live now, uh, Kayla Forrester, but uh, that used to be our uh, student center gather, gathering point. We would study there at the kitchen or the dining area, and we'd look out the window and see these cars coming down Appleton um, at night. And this friend of mine would say, that's a, a Chevy this or that. 
and this is at night, just by the headlamps, he could tell the car, okay? Now, I'm thankful to say that that's not been his characteristic of his life at all, okay? But many guys, it is. And if you find yourself, that's just cool. Oh, I mean, I wish I had that car. That would be just like the dream. Really? I mean, honestly, you ought to be content with your, whatever God gives you. Now, if you're driving a brand new car because God's provided for you, great. Uh, if you're like me driving a 1996 Ford, uh, Ford van and it's running, great. It's wonderful. Either way, it's fine. If you're not living for it, if it's not something you just got to have, if you're just happy to have something that works, and if God blesses you and gives you means to get something a little bit nicer, that works great, but don't live for it, okay? If, here, here's a good test for you. If God takes that away from you, how hard are you, gonna, how hard are you leaning on that? If he takes it away from you, you, you know it's a crutch if you fall, if you're really just devastated by it. Um, I always love it when somebody, they lose something, you know, or just gone, and they just say, well, just a thing. I'm just not going to get bent out of shape about it. Okay, they're living for the right things. Uh, eternal ruin says here, drown, drown men in the destruction and perdition. This is what happens. The end of the world's way is death. Materialism is a deadly thing. Um, you find a deeply rooted problem. The love of money is the root of all evil. The root takes hold, and it's what feeds everything else. Then you find that here uh, that while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They leave a walk with God. Priority decisions begin to be made. Why do church members start, you know, coming to less services? And why are they not going souling anymore? And why does it seem like their kids are going a different direction? What happens? Well, it's amazing. As priority decisions are made, you become like First Timothy 1, where it says, holding faith in the good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. People begin to move away from what they know is true, and it gets far worse than that, erring from the faith, beginning to deny aspects of truth. Why is that? It's because they've set themselves up on a very vicious uh, path, or a very bad cycle, and a terrible path. And then ultimately you pierce yourself through with many sorrows. I think probably the greatest thing I've seen in ministry, the, the worst thing, is just the devastation with children. You know, cute family, all the kids are in line, elementary school, sweet, you know, love the Lord. And then teenagers, you see parents maybe changing parties, daddies want to get more successful, and it's at that time of his life, that midlife crisis they talk about. So he's going up the ladder, and you see the kids, and, and then parents switch churches because their kids aren't wanting to stay in a conservative church, and then they go to that church, and then they don't go to that, they don't even stay at that church. You know, I've seen divorces, thankfully not much, but I've seen enough to make me weep whenever I've, thought, whenever I've faced it. People I've invested in, you know, now marriages, totally split up. Kids are totally in the, in the world. Kids that had a heart to preach. Love Jesus now, drinking. How does that happen? Well, right here. You live for things, you're going to pay the price. Now you say, well, it's... Now, we're not talking about rich people here. We're talking about anybody who's living for anything outside of contentment with God is going to be in trouble. You're setting yourself up for trouble. So he says, flee this. Now, most of this message has been on flee. We're going to just briefly uh, hit the other two points here, and that is as, as, as aggressive as we're to be about fleeing, we need to be about following after, okay? You can't flee and not follow and genu genuinely be fleeing. You're going the opposite direction from what the, the sinful entrapment is. You need to be following after. And you see here listed out, I'm just going to briefly mention these, but he says, flee these things and follow after then he says righteousness, that's the idea of conformity to the righteous standard of God, being completely yielded to the Holy Spirit's control, 
walking in the Spirit. Godliness is a reverence for God that flows out of a heart that's righteous, comes from a genuine relationship with the Lord. Think of the illustration of Jonathan Goforth, who went to school there, and he was mocked for just being a simple, godly young man. And he just wanted to pursue God. He didn't care what anybody else thought. Well, thankfully, by the end of his time in school, he was sent to the mission field by his classmates because they were so overwhelmed by his testimony, right? Um, And it's sad today that we're doing all that we can to diminish the importance of holy living instead of pursuing a godly life. It's tragic in our day-to-day as believers. Then we find here faith, follow after faith, stepping out in God's word no matter what our human senses and how our human senses and intellect might rebel, excuse me. Obedience regardless of the coming circumstances. God pours out his blessing upon those who step out and believe his word. Are you following after believing God? Okay. Following after love, agape love here, the love of volition and choice. It's a selfless love, a decision to put others first. Can that be said that you're pursuing after that? Or are you being selfish right now in, in your life context? I remember a couple years ago traveling, and, and I was at the airport, and I just saw a girl at the airport. I can't remember how old she was, but she just, it was everything about it was the me, 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 me generation. It's all about what I can get. And just remember being struck by, wow, that, that's just unbelievable. It was just so blatantly selfish. But we may not be overt, but think about how self, selfish we are just in a day. You know, it's fun I love being a dad of a lot of kids, but one thing that's a challenge can be sometimes at maybe mealtime. You know, it's like the whole idea of, of um, the police idea about how much food everybody else is getting, that kind of thing. I'm sure your families have never faced that before. Uh, Dr. Paul here, he, uh, he, he was it, so he could have it, you know. But, uh, but if you had, you know, lots of kids there, I, I have a few of my kids, I won't name who, who, who they are, but they'll be more attuned to what everybody else got. And if somebody else got a lot more, then it's not right, and you know we'll have a big, a big um, challenge, you know, a big uh, brouhaha about it. Which of course I have worked on, and we're getting better. Okay, but the fact is, is there's a selfishness in that. It's selfish, you know. Honestly, if you're not selfish, see, it's like this. We can a lot of times name, name it and put, we, we put it in the idea of justice. It's only right. We got to keep everything right here. No, it's just that you don't get chipped. Okay, in, in those kind of contexts. All right, so be careful. Live for others. If you're the last one in line for something, are you okay with that? You know, you don't always have to be the last in line. That's not what I'm saying. But are you, are you, are you living a selfless life? Okay. No wonder, by the way, God's people, God, the young people, especially in churches, they're not hearing the call of God, because we as adults and, and our parents many times have been very selfish, and so they're not, so they're they're selfish with their life, and uh, so it's a challenge to us. Make sure we are examples of a loving, selfless spirit. And then, of course, patience here in verse, uh, verse 11. And that's the idea of being steadfast and enduring. You're not swerved from your loyalty to God, no matter how great the persecution and trials are. You're confident in God and the fact that he's all-powerful and trustworthy. You can trust him. All right? Now, and then meekness, giving up of, of your right. It's really the opposite of living selfishly. Fleeing from covetousness, by the way, does allow you to live an unselfish life. Now, how can you live this way? Okay, you say, i got to follow after this. How am I going to do this? Well, be filled with the Spirit. Abide in Christ. Walk in the Spirit. I'm not going to go through all that. You know these truths. But it's a moment-by-moment yielding to the Holy Spirit, following after. And then fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Embrace the cause. This cause is worthy of your focus. All right? And Timothy, other places, and also 1 John, it says, don't get distracted by the world. Don't love the world. Don't. 
Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Stay focused on this cause because it's worth it. Okay? Um, your whole life focus must be completely on serving the Lord. It must be completely on following Him. You can't get distracted this way and that. You've got to keep your eyes on the goal, and it's pursuing Him. And it's a cause worth defending. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Okay? And the idea of wanting to see that cause further. Um, and, uh, and, and it's really all about seeing lives change. It's about the gospel not being hid because the light of the glorious gospel is shining through. So you're on your knees in prayer. You're seeing God work in lives because of you're seeking his face and their eyes are being opened. You're getting involved in lives. So we're to embrace the cause. We're to engage in the battle. Agonize the good agony is what fight the good fight of faith means. It's agonizing to disciple people. It's agonizing to intercede. That's what the Bible says, especially about intercession. But even if in discipleship, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All right, so it is a battle. I had somebody recently text me and say, is it odd that uh, if I'm praying, all of a sudden all these bad thoughts come to my mind? You know, they're just they're really trying to seek God. And I said, no, it's not unusual to face a battle that way. You're in a battle. You think Satan wants you to pray and succeed in prayer? No. It's amazing what can happen. So that, but we, can, we don't have to get defeated by that. We have to battle with the weapons of our warfare. And they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then we're to expect victory. Oh, I love this. Uh, just as those soldiers that go through the cities on those victory marches and they've conquered a city, so we should be expecting in our own lives continual victory marches, okay? He says, lay hold on eternal life. Live the victorious life of eternity now, Okay? And then boldly live for Jesus, he says here. Live according to your calling. Uh, and then, of course, our motivation is Christ's return. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for his return? If you were to come right now, would he be happy? Would he be pleased with where you're at? Would, would he be, I know we're always growing, but I mean, right now, where are you at? Are you struggling? Is there things you're hiding from him? Are you finding yourself, um, um, you know, just you're not fully yielded? You're not living in that encouraged life that he has for you well he could come at any time you need to live in the reality of that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our lord jesus christ so how's it going are you fleeing are you following after and are you fighting the good fight of faith i trust that in these days that when the battle's a little bit more visible and obvious that each one of you will be determined by god's grace to not get overwhelmed by the enemy or defeated by him but that you will genuinely fight the good fight of faith and experience the victory that God has for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that it was a help today and an encouragement. Would you enable each one of our college students to, as they finish up this summer school and then go into the summer, that they would genuinely be faith-filled young people, that their lives would be characterized just by the glory of what you can do in, that, in the victorious Christian life, that there would be no doubt that you are with them, that you're using them, that in the context of life, even in their workplace or wherever they're at this summer, if they're interning or however they're serving you and, and, and even maybe working a regular job, no matter what context, that they would be able to magnify your name and not see it blasphemed because of their spirit. Would they, would, would they genuinely follow after and would you help them to see spiritual victories won in their families, in their lives, in their family, their churches, and in their community? Help us to realize the seriousness of this, and may we genuinely flee, fall, and fight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.